Welcome to the Church Plus Podcast. Church Plus is a conversation around growing trends, best practices, and how stuff works in your local church. My name is John Bennett, and I'm going to be your host today. I'm very excited about my interview today. It's a power-packed 25 minutes about how to think clearly and practically about multi-site church. And as you realize, every church had to become multi-site a year ago when COVID rolled in and changed everything about the way we do church. My guest today is Greg Ligon, who I'll introduce in just a moment. But before that, let me give you a couple things that I think you're going to learn as you invest some time into this podcast. First of all, we're going to talk about the digital reality. Now that people are coming back in person, what are we going to do with the digital campus of our church? And will you and I invest real resources toward developing a thriving online campus? Another question I'm going to ask Greg is, what exactly is a microsite, a strategy of multi-site? And what will a microsite actually look like moving into 2021 and beyond? And finally, what can normal leaders do to extend their reach through the multi-site strategy? Now, when I talk about normal leaders, I'm not talking about the mega, mega church leaders of this world. I'm talking about normal people like you and I that are pastoring great churches. What can we do to extend our reach through the multi-site strategy? My guest today is Greg Ligon. Greg is a good friend of mine. Greg has served churches and leaders for over 30 years. He served with Leadership Network for over 22 and completing his tenure there at Leadership Network as the COO. Greg now serves as a Senior Director of Lead Pastor Services at Generis. I trust that you will totally enjoy my interview with Greg Leggett. Let's join that right now. Hey, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John, thanks so much. I've been looking forward to getting some time with you. Excited about the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've been friends for a long time, and you have been working in uh, the leadership space uh, you know, kind of from a macro level, but you've also been working with the multi-site space for quite some time, and you got to kind of got to fill in some blanks for us and just tell us, how did you get into this coaching thing to begin with? Yeah, so um, I spent a long time at Leadership Network, and that's where, John, I think you and I first met yep. was during your tenure there as well. And uh, but spent a long time there, and a good chunk of that time I spent working with multi-site churches um, in kind of our group cohort model. Um, I just kind of learned over time that kind of my best strength uh, was kind of coming alongside and listening and helping uh, churches to kind of see what was around the corner a little bit. Mm-hmm. I did that in the context of our groups, but also I, I've learned that that's basically the way I lead. I do that with my teams that I lead. Um, And then I've also begun to do that through some of the coaching that I'm doing with individual churches as well as individual leaders. So it's a, it's a, it's a something that brings great joy to my life um, is to have the opportunity to help people kind of unlock what's around the corner and then help them create some pathways to get there. I had the opportunity to join the Generis team uh, almost a year ago, um, right after the the pandemic, I, I joined the team. Um, and it's been a really great year. I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed getting to know the team and also get, enjoyed getting to work with some churches uh, through this season as well. Yeah, well, I, and I don't mind saying, Greg, you are very, very good at what you do. I got the, ch- like you said, a chance to watch you at Leadership Network and the group and the kind of work you do in groups and the type of churches and leaders you work with. 
uh, there's no reason to, to suspect that, that the only reason that people were coming back was because you were that good. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go ahead and say that right up front. So, yeah, well, hey, let's jump right into the topic, though. We're talking about multi-site. So the fact is every church went multi-site in 2020, whether they wanted to or not. Most of them probably did not want to when it came to the digital online front. But let's talk a little bit about how churches should be thinking about the digital online service now as we kind of move into 2021 and beyond. What are some things we need to be thinking about there? You bet. Yeah, so we're uh, we're literally coming up on a year anniversary next week, right, of COVID, mm-hmm. um, when we're recording this video anyway. And I, a year ago, I was in Atlanta with a group of about 10 young leaders um, who were all in churches, um, rapidly growing churches. Um, we were at dinner wow. the first night, um, and one of the guys said, oh, man, he just looked up from an alert that he'd gotten um, off of his phone. It was actually happened to be an ESPN alert notifying us that the, uh, there would be no crowds at March Madness, which was the beginning of the end. Uh, yep. and then, but by the next morning, uh, we had learned, of course, many things were being shut down, including the opportunity uh, to have worship, be together in worship. And so that session turned from kind of scenario planning and thinking about what the future might hold to really reality TV. Wow. As we began to figure out how some of these churches who did not have an online presence beyond just kind of a uh, their website or maybe posting their service a week later, but they really didn't have an online worship experience. And so, and they had to stand one up in five days. Um, and so oh it was God. really fascinating at the front end of the pandemic and really encouraging and exciting, I think, to see some of the innovation that was happening in the church around online ministry. Um, one of the things that happened shortly, uh, not too long after all that got started, though, was the fact that many, as soon as we began to hear the opportunity of potentially going back into the building and being live, there was a pretty big shift back to how do we get back live in person. And But I think the thing that has, that has uh, stood in place over these last 12 months and is beginning to gain some more traction, too, as we continue to be in this scenario where, you know, still most churches um, across the country um, I'm hearing typically 50%, 60% kind of on the high end, yep. uh, particularly in larger churches that are back uh, live in-person worship. Um, and so they're beginning to say, okay, how do we really make this thing a part of what the new reality, the new normal is going to be? And so there's some really exciting things that are happening in terms of online. You know, it's not just the, one of the things I think is really important to think about in this space is it's not just what happens on the weekend. It's just not about replicating a uh, weekend worship service online. Yep. But it's really moving into this uh, approach and this understanding and this uh, thought process of saying, how do I make this online opportunity really about discipleship and really about what it looks like, not just on Sunday, but from Monday through Saturday as well. So that's where some of the really exciting conversations are happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting you said that this cannot be the camera in the back of a live worship service. So like we're inviting you into what we're doing over here because you're over there. It's got to be much more of an engaging digital kind of experience. I just got done watching, uh, I think it was actually last week or two weeks ago with Dave Ferguson, uh, you know, Community Christian Church and how they were doing their online service. I thought it was so well done. 23 minutes in total in terms of the actual talk. It was just very innovative, very engaging, kept your attention. And so you're right. This is a whole new conversation. So 
let's kind of break it down for a minute. That's that's what you do. That's what you're great at. Uh, tell us a few best practices about digital, you know, the, the online experience, your digital campus. How should we th- how should we be thinking about that? Yeah, just a couple of thoughts. One, in terms of the worship experience, I just said it's not just about the worship experience, but that is a key component. And so yep. I think one of the things that's really key is, you know, during the early stages of the pandemic, um, people moved from doing really any kind of live stream. I mean, some were doing some live stream, but there was really a large move toward doing this kind of produced service, just like you mentioned with what Dave's doing, mm-hmm. uh, a shorter sermon, a tighter sermon, a worship set that was that was abbreviated, uh, that had some uh, had been mixed before it actually was uh, broadcast on a weekend. Um, and there were some really powerful things about that. I told the preacher at my church, he didn't really like to hear this much, but I told him, I said, that's the best <laughs> preaching we've done ever um, because it was so tight and it was, he was preaching straight to the camera. So I'm sitting in my den or on my patio in the summer and realized, okay, it, it felt as if he was preaching directly to me. The wow. worship experience was enhanced. So the, there's some of that that's, that's really possible. We just have in the process of doing a survey right now. And of the, those that we've surveyed, about 30% are still doing some of that produced kind of service on the weekend. I think the key to for that piece of it is, is the online thing attracted some new people. Um, we've, we're hearing that consistently. You know, people are losing some people, but they're also being, they're attracting some new people. And many of them have come because of the online expression. I think the concern I have and the, and the fear I have for the church is some of those that were, that were attracted online um, aren't ever going to come back in the building. And so if we begin to move back to a subpar experience, we're going to lose some of those as well. Um, so I think that's one of the key things. If you do a live stream, I think the, the way that you can do that, the thing that's really important in that context um, is to have a dedicated um, audio uh, feed for your, uh, for your live stream on the weekends. So you're able to have a mix that really works online uh, from a sound perspective. Um, and also from a, from a camera angle shot. So the, I think it's, if you're going to do live, you need to have a camera that's dedicated to what's happening on the stage. That um, can be a really tight shot. So it gives you, even if you don't have a produced experience, it gives you that uh, greater sense of intimacy, mm-hmm. that greater sense of connection that you're really in the room. I, uh, again, I told a couple of churches that I've participated in post, they're going back, uh, w- listened to them online, that had conversations with them following. And I said, it, it moved from my feeling as if I was a part of what you were doing to, uh, to my feeling as if I was looking in over the shoulders of what you were doing. Wow. Um, so I think nice. that's really, really a key thing. The other thing I think that's really important is you kind of broaden beyond the worship uh, experience is I think we've learned some really important things on what works online and what doesn't work online. Um, I'm hearing uh, some very consistently two things that are working better online than they did in person. One is churches that have some kind of a membership process or kind of an introduction process to their church are reporting to me that they're having much higher um, attendance um, at these things. And then also the transparency, the level of sharing, the willingness to say, hey, this is how we got to this church. And these are some of the things that are, are part of my story is significantly up. And and many of them are saying they won't go back to it in person. It also creates a sense of, of convenience, right? So you're not having, particularly with families, you're not having to figure out how to get sitting for, for, that, uh, for that experience. The second one kind of follows on that too, and that is, Young fam- young couples with uh, with children who are young have just have been reporting that their life group experience or small group or whatever it's called in their church 
uh, they're able to be more engaged online than they are when it's in person, simply because they're doing it at 8.30 or 9 at night. The kids are already down. They're not having to worry about getting a sitter. They're not having to worry about if their kids are upstairs at somebody else's house, tearing everything up. Um, they're really mm-hmm. able to be focused. And so I think that we're going to see some of these online group experiences that will continue and they're going to, they'll continue to be, have a really favorable um, engagement. Um, so I think that's really key. I think the other, the last thing I'd say is I don't think you can think about it from an either or perspective. So there are some things that we're learning that are going to have to happen online that are going to work really effectively online. It also, the season that we've just been through, also is informing some of what happens in person as well. And so I think that's the balance uh, that churches are having to kind of struggle with and kind of navigate through in this season. Man, Greg, that is so helpful. I I love that point about couples, especially young couples with young children and doing the small group experience later at night. Uh, I'm just reminded of my son and his wife who are driving an hour to their small group in traffic. Of course, traffic's died down in Atlanta, thank God. But, you know, that whole idea, now they've got their their first child. And so that kind of context is unbelievably uh, helpful. And honestly, I wouldn't even really thought about it now being an empty nester. So I think that's an excellent point. Just one little sub point you brought out about the entire online uh, possibilities, the online opportunity, you know? You know, um, you've also written a couple of books on the multi-site movement. Uh, you've got a lot of, just a lot of history with this. And let's face it, in some ways, it's it's still only, what, 20 years young, uh, maybe 25 when you think about everything involved. So you've written a couple books, uh, Multi-Site Church Revolution, Multi-Site Church Road Trip. Both are very helpful. And so let's let's kind of break down the entire multi-site thing for a minute a lot of churches, churches I'm talking to right now, uh, have got opportunities to go multi-site that were that literally were accelerated during the pandemic, and they're they're trying to figure out what to do with this. So let's kind of start to steer the conversation a little bit toward multi-site and what kind of trends are you seeing right now that you think are working and are helpful for growing churches? You bet. Um, so Jeff Surratt and I, who were we both worked on those two books that you mentioned. I uh, had actually begun these conversations. He joined the Generis team about the same time I did a few months earlier, and we began mm-hmm. to talk about what are the new things that are happening in, in multi-site. We actually began these conversations uh, pre-COVID, and certainly some of these things I'm going to share were happening pre-COVID, but have, in many cases have been accelerated over the last 12 months. And we put together a, a, just a small ebook called Multi-Site Reimagined, um, and it really focuses around five different things that we're seeing happen uh, around multi-site in the church today. One is the online piece that we've already talked about, and that's kind of the obvious one. Um, another is the use of venues. And so we wrote about this even in the first book. Um, and there were and there's still some churches that do that very effectively. North Coast Church out in Vista, California. They, uh, Larry was kind of the grandfather of this, and um, they still do it well. Um, but there was a there was a season where that kind of took a little bit of a back burner. But one of the things we're seeing in this season is churches are beginning to think about venues again. Uh, they're looking at their existing facility and looking at existing spaces that they can repurpose for a worship space that enables them, particularly in areas where they still have seating limitations on a number of people they can have uh, due to some of the uh, safety practices. And so they're able to actually increase the number of people they're able to have in their building by spreading them out across various Mm -hmm. spaces in their building. 
so that's been really fascinating to see some experiments in that, in that area too have been around some kind of focused areas in that. So I know of a couple of churches that have had some success with making that kind of a family ministry venue. And so mm-hmm. they have round tables and you can sit with your family and they provide activities for the kids. And uh, so there's some unique things that are happening in that venue space. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing uh, that we're seeing a lot of is mergers. And we've been seeing that trend has been a part of the multi-site story for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think we're going to see that grow. If the stats that Ed Stetzer out of Wheaton and um, the Barna Group um, are anywhere near accurate, we'll probably have about 20% of our churches um, that I don't make it uh, simply because of the financial economic realities uh, that they're facing. And so uh, our hope and our dream is that there'll be some churches that have healthier financial positions and have a vision for extending their reach in their region or their community. I uh, will be able to adopt some of these campuses. So we think mergers is going to, there will be on the rise. Um, the fourth thing is microsites. And so this is probably, you know, this is, there's been waves of this for the last two decades in terms of conversations about this. Probably five or six years ago, um, it kind of began to be talked about more seriously again with one of the uh, key models is underground down in Tampa. Uh, Brian Sanders has helped to launch that movement, but there's, we're beginning to see many more of these models. Uh, one of the models that is, has really bur- been birthed and is having great success is 12 Stone. Uh, they're in the Atlanta area. They've have a thing called 12 Stone Home. Um, it's, it's taking the opportunity for people to gather in spaces outside of the physical uh, church, uh, but physically together in many cases. And uh, some people are calling them watch parties. Some people are calling them house church. But it's these smaller gatherings where you have the opportunity to participate together in worship and to be uh, do life together in some significant ways. And so I think we're going to see uh, growth in that. Um, uh, 12 Stone calls it one experience two expressions. And so I think there's some really good validity there. It's having some really powerful outreach opportunities for them as well. And then last thing I'll mention, and we we called it multi-brand in the book. Uh, We don't really have a great name for it yet, but uh, probably three years ago, I took a group of churches, multi-site churches, some of the pioneers. We spent uh, three days at Marriott with some of their senior leadership and of course, Marriott is an organization that now I believe has 32 independent brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say independent, have 32 brands are not really that, all that independent uh, because they all carry the same brand DNA of Marriott. But it looks very different. Um, every mm-hmm. expression of those, of those independent brands look very different. And it's based on psychographic, uh, demographic kind of data. Um, they're all held together uh, by owner-operator agreements. Interestingly enough, Marriott does not own any property, with the exception of their Mar- of their Ritz-Carlton uh, hotel. Mm. Wow. Um, and so, there's all kinds of possibilities. We think probably married somewhat with the merger uh, conversation, but for some of these churches uh, that have a unique expression in a unique area, to be able to join with a larger church that would provide some additional resource, uh, but kind of come under this common vision and mission but maybe even retain their own name, um, a name that would perhaps be tied to the specific area, much like you'd have a Marriott Courtyard or you have a, a JW Marriott. Um, so we think there's going to be some growth in that. Not a whole lot of examples of that yet, um, but that's kind of one we're watching for the future. Yeah, that's great stuff, Greg. Um, so I'm going to, in just a minute, I want to ask you just to give us an example of a merger that you may have heard of. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be in 2020. It could have been before that. 
but just kind of give us an example of what that looks like and maybe how that worked from your kind of objective standpoint. But I did want to go back to that point about 12 stone, the entire idea of launching these microsites where it talks about one experience, two expressions, one experience, two expressions, great phrase. And I think that is so healthy because again, what we're talking about is the movement of the online communities that are forming. Uh, I mean, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I went Peloton before COVID hit. Thank God, because it would have taken 10 years to get my, my bike, right? But I mean, the community that's been formed there, and I do feel like I'm a part of something, even though it's 100% digital community. So it is one experience, but a different expressions in terms of just getting a workout there. But let, let's, let's go back for a minute. You've, you've seen how these mergers have worked. Kind of give us an example of uh, maybe one that, uh, that worked well and why you think it worked well. Sure. So I'm actually right in the middle of working with the church right now on one. Um, this is a, the lead church. We call lead church and joining church is kind of the terminology that we use typically. Um, and the, basically the scenario is, is the joining church um, is has been in a place where they've kind of their growth has kind of flatlined. Um, they in this particular case, there's some other kind of issues, challenging issues in the church's past uh, that are causing them to say, "Hey, we think we need to we need a fresh start," and that's really kind of what's driving that. And so they've identified this lead church, and basically they actually approached the lead church and said, "Hey, we'd like to consider becoming a part of you." Um, and so one of the things that's in this particular scenario. It's very different than most of the ones that I've worked with, but this church is actually going to dissolve. They're going to sell their buildings, and they're going, then going to gift the assets um, of the sell their building to the lead church. Nice. Um, the cool thing that's work, that's happening in this church is some of the some of the giftings and the core competencies of some of the senior staff in this smaller church um, are right in line with some of the new conversations and kind of the strategic next direction for the for the lead church. And so they're going to also not in addition to having some resource capacity that's going to be added because they're going to get the resource from the sale of the building. They're also going to have some expertise that will come and will really help them to accelerate um, some of the work that they're doing to reach uh, their community. Um, in many other cases, uh, the merger in particularly I'm thinking about in terms of multi-site um, scenarios um, it a church will There'll be a church, and sometimes it happens on a denominational um, level. I'm, I'm a United Methodist by history, and so I know that they're in my own denominational background. There are churches that uh, have are in a perhaps are in a socioeconomic area that's made it difficult for them uh, to survive. Uh, perhaps there just hasn't been the right leadership in place, and so even from a denominational perspective, some of the healthier churches in those areas are being asked to consider um, adopting. Um, taking mm -hmm. on this this campus. And so I know many of those stories. One, I think they're stories of redemption, which is what I love, because there are mm -hmm. so many, there are so many exciting things that have happened in all these churches, these God things that have happened in all these churches through the years, but they're now at a season um, where it's time to move on, right? And so in some ways I see it as kind of planting new seeds, right? Um, and so that's one of the things that excites me most is how can we redeem the stories and and in many cases, the facilities and the leadership associated with these churches that have had great kingdom impact through the year, uh, but just need to find a new expression for it. Oh, yeah, that's a great example. So uh, let's let's kind of uh, throw a couple of resources at our, our audience for a minute. You know, let's say I'm thinking about microsite. 
or I'm thinking about merger, or I'm thinking about what it would be to launch my next campus. Give me a couple. Uh, give me a couple resources. I've already mentioned the two books you've written, which are outstanding in every way. Anything else you'd add to multi-site revolution, church revolution, multi-site church road trip, uh, and then even the ebook about multi-site reimagined. Uh, any kind of resources you think would be helpful in these conversations? Sure, you bet. So there's a great book called Better Together, uh, written by a former colleague Warren Bird and Jim Tomerlin. Mm-hmm. They've actually just released the second edition of that. Great resource. Um, has lots of uh, very, I mean, it talks about philosophically what happens. It also has some really great practical resources if you're going to if you want to attempt to walk through this journey by yourself. Um, and so there's some really great resources that are in that book. Um, they, one of the stats that's really interesting from their book is that in their research, 78, I believe it's 78% of the churches that they've been in contact with that have formerly done a merger have indicated that they will do it again. It's been a very wow. positive, very successful wow. thing for their congregation. Um, so that's, that's, I think that's probably one of the, that is the premier book out there on mergers. Uh, one of the books that this is actually a book that's been out for a little bit, but I just recently reread it and I talked about micro churches and it's called micro churches. Um, mm-hmm. a smaller way by Brian Sanders. He's the gentleman I, uh, the leader I mentioned earlier, um, mm-hmm. who's a part of underground founded the underground network in the Tampa area. So great uh, book there in terms of the micro, some of the stuff that's happening in micro sites. And then, as I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned again there, Jeff and I have completed this um, ebook called Multi-Site Reimagined. And I can get you a link if you want to put it in the show notes, or you can certainly yep. go to uh, generis.com uh, forward slash Greg dash Ligon, and you'll find that resource there on my page. You can download that. That's a free resource. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, Greg, and the other thing I would say to our audience, too, if you are thinking at all about any of these uh, categories that we've talked about, my my strong suggestion would be let's reach out to Greg. Let's just have a conversation. Let's just, you know, tap into Greg's wisdom. And maybe it's even down the road. You're going to want to engage Greg in your actual process of going through the merger or launching that multi-site or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, I've just become a firm believer that great coaching usually produces great results. Uh, it's why I got into the coaching field. That's why Greg is in the coaching field. So I would really encourage you to to, to reach out and have a conversation with Greg because I think it's going to help you. Uh, in fact, I've got a client right now that they're getting ready to launch their third and fourth uh, multi-site that have already got uh, them in touch with uh, our team at Generis just because uh, they know they need that wisdom to be able to uh, move to the next level. So Greg, here, here's my favorite question of all. It's the one I end on each, in each podcast. And uh, it's basically this, if you had a magic wand, the Greg Ligon <laughs> magic wand, and you could wave it, what would you wish uh, for every church, every growing church in America? Oh, that's such a great question and a really big question. I think the thing that, um, I think the thing that I would say is I hope that every church in America will lean into what we've learned over the last 12 months. Um, mm-hmm. And they will take the things that we've learned um, and the opportunities. There, obviously, there have been challenges, but there's also some amazing opportunities that have been opened up as a result of some of the very challenges we've had to walk through. And they would take every opportunity to take advantage and to leverage those um, new opportunities. 
uh, for greater kingdom impact. I think the, you know, the harvest is ripe and I think it's gotten riper. <laughs> That's not a word, yeah. but I'll use it. Um, <laughs> over the last 12 months, my mom were on the call. She'd be spanking my hand, you know, but, grammar, but uh, the reality is that there's so many new ways uh, that we can engage people with the gospel. And so I just pray that churches will lean in, um, that they will not, um, they will resist the natural uh, tendencies to kind of try to get back to the way it used to be. Um, and instead that they would really lean into what's next and what it is that God's doing um, in this season. I love that, Greg. It is so true. Uh, you know, and out of a year of disruption comes acceleration, comes new opportunities. And I agree with you, man. You know, the harvest is, is ripe and it's a chance to really do stuff that we've never done before, take advantage of opportunities we've never taken advantage of before. So anyways, Greg, again, so helpful today, so practical. Really appreciate you hanging out with me and uh, taking time to uh, download some of your wisdom to our audience. My pleasure, John. Thanks again for having me as a guest and um, I had a great time. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Church Plus podcast today. I know there are literally hundreds of podcasts you could listen to, so I'm very grateful you tuned in today. We would always appreciate and enjoy your help and support by subscribing to the podcast or sharing the podcast or telling a friend about it. Please rate and review the podcast. I'll do my best to read every review. Till next time, this is John Bennett with the Church Plus Podcast.